0: If you have your Bible, please turn to 1 Thessalonians 4. And then when you get there, if you have a way to hold a spot, maybe also hold a spot in Hebrews 12. This is the second sermon in a series on sanctification, on growing up to be like Christ. And it's a topical series. It's a thematic series. Uh, Normally we're just going through a book of the Bible and taking the next text that is there, but we're taking a break from that for several weeks to consider together what it means to grow up in likeness to Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we won't be working out of one text today, we'll be going to multiple, but there will be two kind of main ones. So if you can have a spot there in 1 Thessalonians 4 and also in Hebrews 12, because we will definitely be looking at both of those, and I want you to be able to see those right in front of you as we do that. And so we think about sanctification. That's a, that's a big word. It's a long word, and it's a Bible word. It's a word worth keeping. It's about being changed into the image of Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's that gradual process through which we become more like Christ. And so we saw last week that growing in likeness to Christ, to look like him, is God's work and our work, that we work together with God on our sanctification, that we strive for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord, that we make every effort to add these qualities that show that our calling and election is for real, that it's God's work and our work, and we saw that it is slow and steady until we see Jesus face to face. For this Sunday and for the next two, we want to step back, and before we get into, like, here's what you need to do, here's what I need to do, and there'll be, there will be some of that anyway. We want to step back and look at the roles of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit in our sanctification. Because we can be so quick to say, just give me the plan, I'll follow it. Right? Are you like that? I know some of us are. Just tell me what to do. I'll I'll do the things and then it'll be okay. But if we've lived very long trying to follow Jesus, we know that actually that wouldn't work anyway because we're not as obedient as we'd like to think that we are. It's not just tell me what to do. It's not just give me the plans. It's not just give me the steps. Though we do need to obey. And we do need to grow in our pursuit of holiness. But we want to stop before saying, okay, here are some things we can do by God's grace. We want to stop to see how committed God is to this. Because if you think your sanctification is all about you and what you can do, you're going to run out of steam really fast. We want to see how committed God is to this, to us, to our sanctification. And so my prayer with this is that these next few messages won't just be information, that there might be some, even that's new for you, but motivation to worship God, to see him as he is, to live our one short life for his glory. Let's pray even now, asking him to do that. Father, would you be at work as we sit under your word even now? that we would see you for who you are, that we would see your great love for us, that we would see your heart for us, and that we would respond the way you would want us to respond, with repentance, with humble faith, with gratitude, and with love, with joy that we have such a good Father. So Holy Spirit, would you do that work in our hearts? It's because of Christ that we pray. Amen. The big idea this morning is this. We must grow in obedience and holiness as well-loved children of our good heavenly Father. And if you see the underlines on here, those are especially for the kids. I'm so glad you guys are here and you do such a great job hanging on every week. And so those underlines are just for you. Now, if you're able to write everything that's on the slide, fantastic. Okay? And if sometimes it's hard to write everything that's on there, just get those underlined words. Those are on there just for you guys. Okay? So we must grow. In obedience and holiness as well-loved children of our good Heavenly Father. So from various texts, we'll see that it is God's will for us to become more like Christ, to be sanctified. We'll see that he's so committed to our growth that he disciplines us when we need it. Because he is a good father. And since the Father freely chose us to be his children and lovingly disciplines us when we go astray, we must endure in our pursuit of holiness, of obedience to the commands of Christ. And we endure by fixing our eyes on Jesus in dependence on the Holy Spirit. So let's see first God's will. You ever wonder about God's will for your life? I am going to tell you today. This is so exciting, right? I'm going to tell you God's will for your life. God's will. What is it? Our sanctification. So often when we think about God's will, we think about what job we're supposed to have, who we're supposed to marry, what, where we're supposed to live, right? What we're supposed to do. And we're thinking in these kind of big things. And it's important to follow God's will in those big things. But there's times we can think that's the main thing about God's will. I want to be in the right place. I don't want to miss it. God doesn't want you to miss his will that he has revealed. That's what he doesn't want you to to miss, And so let's consider together God's will, which is our sanctification. The key texts here are 1 Thessalonians 4, 1-12, 2 Thessalonians 2, 13-17, 1 Peter 1, 1 and 2, and there's more. We'll even mention one more, but that's all that we could fit on the line. And we didn't want to just have a million texts up there. So we'll keep it tight. Those are some key texts that teach us that God's will for us is our sanctification. Our sanctification, your sanctification, if you are in Christ, your growing up in likeness to Christ was planned by God the Father. That is His plan for your life. When people say God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life, it's true. Often what is meant by that is that you're going to be wealthy and you're going to be comfortable and things are going to go well for you according to how you think that they should. As we know, those who've been following Jesus for a long time, sometimes God's plan for our life doesn't feel wonderful when we're thinking about it through our lenses, but God indeed has a wonderful plan for your life. A plan that includes you go, going from being dead to alive. From lost to found. From outside of his family. A rebel outside of his kingdom. A rebel to his crown. To being sons and daughters of the king of the universe. And he wants us to look like his children ought to look. That is a wonderful plan for our life. And as has already been referenced, one day we will see him face to face and we will be like him because we will see him as he is. And all of that was planned in eternity past by God the Father for you, for me. Do you feel small? Do you feel insignificant? Do you feel forgotten? Do you feel abandoned? The Father planned all that for you. And he is still working on that plan and he will bring it to completion. It's planned by God the Father. But our sanctification was purchased by Jesus Christ. He died so that we could be saved from sin. Yes, that our sins wouldn't count against us anymore, but also that sin would not have power over us anymore. Our sanctification was planned by God the Father, was purchased by Christ, and is empowered by the Spirit. It's empowered by the Spirit. We have help. We all feel, if we've tried at all, following Jesus and growing up in likeness to Christ, we all feel the weakness that is real, that is present for us each and every day. But we also have living inside us the Holy Spirit who empowers us to obey the commands of Christ. So look now at First Thessalonians 4, that first passage that we turn to. Paul's writing here, he says, Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus, that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. So right off the bat, we see this need to grow. That We do it more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. And specifically what he's going to go through in the next several verses is that you abstain from sexual immorality. In verse 7 he says, God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. And in verse 9, now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another For indeed, that's what you were doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this, here it is again, more and more. What does it look like? And to aspire to live quietly, and to mind your own affairs, and to work with your hands as we instructed you, so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on No one. Outsiders, there are those who are outside of Christ, outside of the faith, that the way we live as we grow up to be like Christ would be one that people outside of Christ see us and know the love of God and know the heart of Christ. We want to walk by God's grace properly before outsiders, dependent on no one abstaining from sexual immorality, instead living holy lives devoted to God, growing more and more. He says, this is the will of God, your sanctification, your being set apart from sin to God, living for his glory so that those who don't yet know Christ would know what God is like and what it means for someone to be saved by Him. It's God's will for us to be holy. God Himself teaches us to love one another. And the passage that isn't listed in our key text, but probably should be, is Hebrews 10, and specifically Hebrews 10 10. It's a passage where the author is talking about Jesus and how he came to do God's will. And he says, I have come to do your will, O God. And in Hebrews 10.10 it says, By that will, by the will of the Father, what the Father planned for Jesus to do, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. It was the will of the Father that we who trust in Christ should be sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all in our place so what is God's will for my life? It's a question we've all, if we're in Christ, it's a question we've all asked at some point. What is God's will for my life? And how do I know if I'm in God's will? You ever heard that expression, talking about being in God's will? Perhaps you've even been taught that somehow you can miss God's will. But rather than worrying about whether we have missed God's perfect will for our lives, let's resolve to do what we know is his will. And let's do that by his grace and for his glory. Now, the job I have is not unimportant. The job you have, yes, it matters, but it is less important than how you do that job. You hear that? Does that make sense? The job you have, yes, it matters, but it's less important than how you do that job as a follower of Jesus. Some of us in our lives, we've we've gone to different careers, right? Were you out of God's will when when you were in one career instead of the other? No, you can be doing God's will wherever you find yourself. It's more important how we do the job and how we treat other people made in God's image as we do that job. How we love like Christ loves and how we love what Christ loves. That is God's will for us. Similarly, where we live matters. And I'm glad you live here. That's definitely God's will for you. <laughs> And we're glad that it's God's will for us to be here. But I know for sure it's God's will for us to grow in likeness to Christ and to love our neighbors wherever we are. And a change of location isn't going to automatically do that in our hearts. So how do I know if I'm doing God's will? There's a lot more about the, in the Bible about God's will for your sanctification, for your growth in knowing God's love and showing it to others and likeness to Christ than what job he wants you to do or where he wants you to live. And so if you're asking some of those big questions right now, I'd urge you to ask another question in addition to those. Again, they're not unimportant But also ask, am I already living in obedience to what I absolutely know is God's will for my life? How do we expect God to speak to us in these less clear ways when we are ignoring his clearly revealed will? In fact, we can do his will even when we have no control over our situation. Right? We get so concerned about where I live, what I do, when there are some right now and many throughout history who have been forcibly removed from homes, forcibly taken to prison for following Jesus. And even there, when they had no control over their situation, they were able to live in God's will for their lives and to glorify him even there. You think of the Apostle Paul. Right, He was bound in chains. But he said the word of God is not bound. We can seemingly be stopped, be limited. And I don't think anybody here has ever gone to prison for Christ, but maybe you feel like things haven't gone the way they should go and you feel stuck in your life, whether it's in your job, whether it is in Philadelphia, I, please, I hope no one feels that way. Whether you feel stuck related to your job, your housing situation, whatever it is, it may be God's will for those things to change. It doesn't mean we never changed jobs. It doesn't mean we never moved. If we never moved, we wouldn't have moved here. Okay? It doesn't mean we never change jobs. It doesn't mean we never move. But even while you're feeling stuck, feeling like things haven't gone the way they've gone, you can keep looking to Christ. You can keep resting in the Father's plan. And he does indeed have a wonderful plan for your life. And it is to grow up into likeness for Christ. And so this impacts then how we pray. Right? We're, we're taught in God's word to pray according to God's will. And so what does that mean? When we think about God's will for us this way, that changes. Because there are definitely times that I've thought praying according to God's will is like praying for what I want and then saying, Lord, if that's what you will, right? Any of you ever done that? It's like, Lord, if you will, if it's your will, and please let it be, would you change this? right? If it's your will, would you help me to get a better job that's making more money? Or would you help me to whatever? And we, are, we have our like, here's what I want. And we just kind of bathe it in God's will, right? It's like, there it is. Just dress it up a little bit. Maybe he'll like it more. Find a spiritual reason for what we want when we know it's really just what we want. And so praying according to God's will then is not, Lord, if it's your will, give me what I want. It's, Lord, make me more like Christ, whatever it takes. It's, Lord, give me more and more of you. Help me know more and more your great love for me. That's how the Apostle Paul prayed for the people he wrote to. And it's really good for us to pray that for ourselves. So the next time you're agonizing over a decision, or maybe even before then, and it's time to pray, let's pray for God's will to be done in our lives. And let's pray in accord with what we already know of that will. Lord, make me like Christ. So that is God's plan for our lives. And he is so committed to this plan that there are times we experience the Father's loving discipline. God's will is our sanctification. And the Father is so committed to our sanctification that he disciplines us when we go astray. It's actually good news though the Bible makes clear that it's, it's painful rather than pleasant when it happens, it's actually good news that God won't just stand by and let his children go on in their sin and rebellion against him. It's a lot like how we keep our kids' hands away from the light socket, right? It's not that we enjoy slapping their hand. It's not that we enjoy telling them no. No. It's not that we enjoy turning them away and making them do something else, but we know what will happen. We don't want them to be hurt. And God doesn't want us to hurt ourselves. Our key text as we consider the Father's loving discipline is Hebrews 12. So if you still have that one, please turn over there. Hebrews 11, of course, is what has been known as the hall of faith or the hall of fame of faith. And really the theme of endurance has already been going on in the whole, whole letter, but especially at the end of chapter 10. And then Hebrews 11 functions as kind of examples of people who persisted to the end, who persevered to the end in their faith. It's not that they were so amazing. It's that they kept on trusting. And then Hebrews 12 is kind of the application of that. What do you do with all these great stories and all these great people in Hebrews 11? Hebrews 12.1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses or people who can give a testimony of what they have seen and heard, right? You remember we talked about that a few weeks ago. That's what a witness is. Somebody who has seen and heard something. These people in Hebrews 11 are people who have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. They have seen and heard and experienced God's grace to them so that they persevered in faith. And they are telling us, you can keep trusting him. He is worth holding on to. Therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight but he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness that's the why for the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it we have a good father it's bad fathers who don't discipline their children right for They're just kids. Just let them do their thing. It's no big deal. It's not going to be a problem when they're rebelling against authority, when they're doing things that are going to hurt themselves or hurt others, when they're moving away from God instead of toward God and we go, ah, I'm too tired. Ah, it's no big deal. God's not a father like that. He's a good father who lovingly disciplines us. His discipline... We saw in Hebrews 12, as we read it, his discipline demonstrates that we are his children. The Father lovingly disciplines us when we go astray. It's important to point out here that his discipline is not punishment. His discipline is not punishment. Jesus Christ has already taken the punishment for all of your sins and mine. When he said, it is finished, he didn't mean except for the things that you did. It is finished. He took it all. He took all the father's wrath for us. This might be instructive for fathers as they think about disciplining their own children. All the wrath is gone. It's not out of wrath that he disciplines us. It's not punishment. It's not you did this, so it must be that because you got to pay. He disciplines us so that we may share his holiness. He disciplines so that we will bear the fruit of righteousness when we have been trained by it. And he doesn't discipline us so that we will become his children. He disciplines us because we are his children. And so when we experience his fatherly discipline, it's a reminder of his love and his care for us. Discipline actually displays his commitment to us. It demonstrates that we're his children, and it displays his commitment to us. That is how committed he is to our likeness to Christ, that he brings us back into line. So what does God's discipline look like exactly? I can tell you what God's will is for your life, but I can't answer that one. I don't know exactly what God's discipline looks like. And we don't need to go around going, okay, well that sin, there must be, oh, there must be something coming for that. No, if you know there's sin that you've committed, go ahead and repent of it. Turn from it. Confess it to God and turn around and walk in the new life that you have in Christ. Don't wait for his discipline. And perhaps you face very difficult days and you go, is this his discipline? We don't know for sure. And we don't need to figure out is it in response to this one particular thing. But what is important for us is to be in that posture where we are ready to repent. I was talking with someone this week who's going through a deep valley in their life. And it's hard to see the way out on the other side. And we were talking about this very thing. God's discipline. He said, I I don't, Think there's anything, I don't know. But I also know that God knows more than I do. And so part of my praying, even while I'm praying for deliverance, while I'm praying for healing, while I'm praying for all this to end, I'm praying, God, would you show me ways that I need to change to be like Christ? That's the kind of attitude that by God's grace, we want to have. Now, not in the, and we've struggled with this as we face various challenges and difficulties through the years. It's like, okay, Lord, whatever lesson it is you want me to learn, let me learn it like right now so this can end. You ever feel that way? We have definitely felt that way, right? It's like, Lord, whatever the, like, if we need to trust you more, just help me trust you like that much right now so this can be over. When we're thinking that way, as we are learning, um, that's actually kind of a sign that whatever lesson it is, we plainly have not yet learned it to the depth that we need to. <laughs> because even then, it's just, it's like, what, what do I do to make this be over, rather than casting ourselves on Christ? And so we've had to come back again and again as we face trials, as we face difficulty, as we face, like, when will this ever change? And we can do what we think you want us to do. Even in the midst, let's look to him. Let's trust in him. It is a kind hand of his that disciplines us. It's not to hurt us, not to punish us, but for us to grow up in likeness to Christ. It's a demonstration of his commitment to keep his promise to save us. And as hard as this is for us to hear And perhaps for you to hear, he cares more about our trust in him. He cares more about our love for him. And he cares more about our love and good deeds for others than he cares about our comfort or our security in this life. That's hard. I would many times much prefer comfort and security. But he cares about making us into the image of his son, the one who suffered. In our place, so that one day we and everyone who trusts in Him will be with Him where there is no more sorrow, is no more sadness, is no more suffering, and is no more sin. And this kind Father, on the other end of His loving discipline, He welcomes us back when we fall. None of us has kept His commands to love him and love others with everything that we have at all times. Not a one of us has. But because Jesus kept those commands in our place and we belong to him. We are his children. And when we confess our sins, he forgives us. And he doesn't bring us in for the hug and go, but you know, you really messed up this time. We're tempted to do that sometimes, right? Right? When you're being reconciled with someone who sinned against you and it's like, okay, I know what I'm supposed to do. I forgive you, but don't, you know, you remember. I'm going to remember. It's like, wait a minute. He's not a father like that. Isn't that good news? He's a father who welcomes us back. And this highlights for us the need for endurance, which we'll be talking about in other messages as we go. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 is the key there. Sanctification is not a sprint. Often we talk about it as instead of being a sprint, you know, it's more like a marathon. But it's not a marathon either. People can do marathons in a few hours. If that was all we needed for sanctification, we wouldn't even need to be here today. We'd all have it done already. The Father has sent His Son to endure our punishment, and He has sent His Spirit to help us to keep going, to keep trusting. He has given us everything that we need. By God's grace, we want to be faithful plotters, putting one step in front of the other. It's probably not going to feel like a huge difference at first, but over the long haul, it will make a huge difference difference. As we wind this down, we want to consider finally our good father. We've been talking about him as a good father all along, but I just want to highlight, and you'll see the key text on the screen, that he is patient with us. Could you imagine if God gave up on you the first time you sinned? How about the thousandth? He would have given up a long, long time ago, but he continually forgives us and welcomes us back because of what has been accomplished by his son. He's so patient with us and he keeps coming after us. He's patient with us and this is the part that might make the absolute least sense to us. He is pleased with us. Your heavenly father is pleased with you. Amazingly, we can please our father. We're used to thinking about, like, I'm bad, I'm a sinner, I keep messing up. Certainly, he can't be pleased with me. But we can please our Father. And we seek to please him, not so that he will finally be happy with us. He is already inclined toward us. He has shown his love for us by sending his Son, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It is possible for us to please God. God. Hebrews 13, 16 says, Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. It is possible, and we'll explore this more as we get through the series, it is possible for us to please God. And so we must grow in obedience and holiness as well loved children of our good Heavenly Father. God loves us. He chose us to be his children. His plan is for us to share his holiness. He's committed to his plan and he's committed to us. So committed that he brings us back on the path when we need it. When relying on what Christ has done for us and depending on the spirit to help us, we fight against sin and seek to do good to others for his glory. He is pleased with us. He's pleased with our fumbling, faltering attempts at living for him and loving others. He's pleased with us like parents are pleased with the artwork of their children. It's never going to make it to the Philadelphia Museum of Art, right? But it's good enough for my wall. It's good enough for my fridge. And while we can only feel like I colored outside the lines once again, God sees our efforts, sees the work of Christ that fixes everything that's wrong with us. And he's pleased. He's pleased. May we feel his loving smile this week. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Oh, you are so, so good to us. Would you help us to see your love for us and to be motivated by that love, by the security we have in your love to live for you, to love you, and to love like you have loved us. Spirit, would you do that good work in us? In Jesus' name, amen.